What's up, y'all? It is 6 o'clock on, uh, on Thursday. We usually go at 8 o'clock on Thursday, but, you know, baby things and it's the holiday week and whatnot, so here we are. Um, a big uh, happy holidays to all of you. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Uh, is it happy Kwanzaa? Merry Kwanzaa? Whatever. I think it's happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa if you celebrate any of those holidays. If you celebrate no holidays, well, then... Um, you probably got off for work for nothing. So there you go. We did not do a podcast last week of that. I apologize. We uh, just needed to uh, get everything together. Everybody was kind of out in different places. So, and it was good to uh, spend a little extra baby time, but we are back. And by we, I mean me and Tom and Shana who are here for this special, not Beth and Mike podcast. What's up guys. Hi Joe. How's it going Joe? Shane is furiously knitting. Um, so we have a lot to talk about. Yet. More to talk about now than I think maybe there was 10 hours ago. The big news breaking along Rangers land is the fact that Christopher Kreider has a blood clot. He was pulled out after the first period yesterday so suddenly that people thought he was actually traded. Um, and Yo called an upper body injury. Everybody was worried about concussion. And now we are here with something that is probably quite a bit more dangerous. And obviously, we're going to talk about this from a business perspective. But from a life perspective, obviously, the most important thing is that Kreider is healthy and that everything goes well. Blood clots can move. They could hit your heart or your brain and cause a heart attack or a stroke. So this is obviously something that's very serious. Good on the Rangers who appeared to be on top of the ball right away. When Kreider talked about what his symptoms were, the training staff realized that it was um, consistent with the blood clot. And they sent him to the hospital. He is out indefinitely. Uh, Stamkos went through this, I think in his leg um, a year or two ago, he was out for a while. I, I think the most conservative estimate would be about three months for Kreider to miss, but there's no reason to rush him back with something like that. Um, yesterday, we also saw kind of this dynamic shift from Vigneault with the lines, which we can get to that. But for now, Tom, we can start with you. Um, how does the landscape change for the Rangers with Crowder being out? Because he is obviously a really important part of this team. I think the landscape changes in the sense that, um, for starters, you know, there's if the Rangers get back to a point where, you know, they're in a time of, of trouble, you know, they now Vino does not have Kreider to then throw, you know, the KZB line back together, which has been a line that's been a mainstay this year for for the most part and, and one that, you know, it can generate chances. Um, it creates an interesting situation from the the top six perspective. You have a, you know, a a bona fide top six winger and Kreider out. Now that you have a spot to fill in the the interim last night that was filled by, you know, um, newly minted fourth line winger, not rather Pavel Buchnevich. So going forward, is that going to be a situation where, you know, is Grabner going to be a, you know, a, a top six guy? Is Jimmy VC going to be a top six guy? Um, in the interim, they called up, you know, Vinny Letary, um, because they were playing in, you know, Detroit tomorrow, so they needed another body. 
Um, but is this a situation where he's up, you know, temporarily? Do they then, you know, have a situation where they maybe recall Peter Holland, who has some NHL experience? Um, one thing that I tried looking up, but I, I, you know, I just couldn't find anything. He was recently um, suspended in the AHL, so I don't know if that is preventing him from playing in the uh, the NHL because he's been on a tear since, you know, being acquired. And, you know, with, with all things considered, he leads the team in points. Um, but I think this is obviously a big deal because, you know, as I was doing, you know, some brief research, there is, there is no, you know, estimate for, for blood clots. There was a situation with obviously Stamkos, you know, he had the surgery in April, he was out all of April, and then he returned at the uh, end of May because it was the playoffs. Did he come back a little bit too soon? Maybe. Um, this was a situation that caused Thomas Vokun to miss a playoff run, miss an entire season. This led to the retirement of Pascal Dupuis. You know, Thomas Fleischman battled it, Kimo Timonen. Um, Andre Vasilevsky also had uh, an issue, but it was a little less minor. Um, so I think in the interim, we're not going to see much of a change. We're going to see them get through the game in Detroit tomorrow. Then we're going to see them go through the Winter Classic. And I think in that time period, they'll have a better idea of how long Kreider is going to be out. And if he's going to be out significant time, um, you know, potentially the rest of the season, although I'm not, you know, trying to be dramatic, it would prompt a discussion is what rather – do they make a move to add someone to the top six? I don't know if that would be the the best thing to do because if you look at the overall layout of the team and the way that the division is, um, I don't know if adding a replacement top six winger makes a much of a difference than having Kreider in the lineup. But this is certainly something that uh, obviously catches us all by surprise and it's going to potentially lead to some of the other players having to step up a little more. I mean, I would like to see, you know, maybe Kevin Hayes get more of a, more of a boost in ice time from this. You know, maybe Miller then is more permanent on the wing, the absence of Kreider. But it all comes down to Elaine Vigneault finding combinations that work and then keeping them together. And just, Shana, before I let you jump in, Tom, you made a point on Letary that I, I wanted to get to. Um, by all accounts, Peter Holland, who the Rangers acquired from Montreal in the trade a couple of weeks ago, um, he should be the call-up from the on-paper standpoint. He, he's been a point-per-game player in Hartford since he showed up there, has had a cup of coffee in the NHL as somebody who has a little bit more experience in that regard. Um, I was thrilled to see Letary get the call up because ultimately you'd prefer a guy. You need to know what Letary is. Holland is not going to be an answer for you in the long haul um, moving forward for the Rangers, although I guess you could have made the same case about Paul Carey, but you understand what I'm saying. You'd rather see what you have. And I'd love to know if Letary was the choice because Letary was the choice or if Letary was the choice because Holland was suspended. So, um, I am just curious if anybody knows the answer to that question, because that would answer some questions as well um, in, in maybe the way that this organization is thinking and the way that maybe they haven't been thinking 
in the past. Would Heedle have been an option if he wasn't in the World Juniors right now where he's currently playing Lias Anderson, by the way, in their second game? Check is playing going up against uh, Sweden. But the other question that I had that this will ultimately answer you brought up as well, which is are the Rangers going to trade for a top six winger if Kreider is out for an extended period of time? And that would answer two questions. One, if they don't, then yes, they realize what type of team they are, that they're not really cup contenders and it's probably not worth wasting the assets on. And if they do, well, then maybe things aren't so different after all. So definitely going to get a lot of answers to those questions out of this current injury. And uh, again, the main priority is that Crowder's okay from a person standpoint. He shouldn't be, I wouldn't rush him back at all. I, I wouldn't even have him play this year if you didn't need him to, but uh, you see even that, if you didn't need him to, I don't, I don't mean it like that. Just if he, even if you do need him, if he's not good to go, this is not something to screw around with. Tom listed off the injuries. It's obviously very scary, but we are going to get some, some answers about what the Rangers are and who they think they are. Um, Shana, your thoughts on the whole Crider thing. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Terry get the chance. I'm glad he's up there at whatever, even if this was just because of Holland's suspension. But uh, I think he's starting on the second power play unit off the bat. I wonder how it lasts. I'm curious how his minutes even are, so if we get the chance to see what he can do. I don't think he can replace Kreider, but I think that he can definitely be good on the wing in the middle six or even if they need it in the bottom six, and that gives a player like, that guy, Buchnevich, to not be on the fourth line. And if Buch's offense is that good, then it can definitely uh, replace some of what Kreider would produce. And I think Hayes should get a look at the power play. I feel like guys like BC might get a bigger role. But I think it also means that a guy like Michael Grabner, who, yes, he's scoring a lot. Yes, he's been super valuable to the team. He makes $1.65 million. He's probably not going to be a Ranger next year because someone's probably going to throw a Benoit Pouliot contract at him which good for him, but I don't want to be tied to that when you're 30 years old. So maybe now he stays on the team because he brings that element of speed. And Rick Nash, who was someone that has been discussed before as someone that could go at the deadline as well, maybe he stays because he's a net front presence and you still need his scoring if you don't have Criders and you still think you have a shot at the Cup this year. So I think unless someone else can emulate that role or someone else can – suddenly skate like Carter, which isn't going to happen. I think Grabner's her only shot at that right now. Those guys are staying on the roster, at least in the short term, maybe longer than we expected. It, it definitely it, – so it, part of the foreshadowing that I attempted to do with the whole Buchnevich thing was Buchnevich was on the fourth line to start the game yesterday, which I think we need to go into more detail at, at some point about why you know, that was such a problem because it wasn't just that, but also the comments that Mignot made about trying to send a message to certain players. And I honestly don't even want to get into it just yet because it's an entirely different discussion, but you would think the player that would benefit the most would be Buksnevich because he kind of has to get those minutes. Now Um, he's second on the team in points. You're not VC who I like as a player. I really do. I think, Jimmy Vc is a, a good hockey player. I think he's a, a good depth player. But And I was trying to get this point out a couple of weeks ago. Jimmy Vc is not Pavel Buchnevich. Jimmy Vc is like the player that you create and be a pro in the NHL, and you just keep using him over and over and over again to make him really good. And that's sort of the way that Vigneault has used him. They should not be – him and Buchnevich should not be close together in, in ice time. And this is not a case of trying to force people – 
trying to force people to pick between one or the other. You know, this isn't Jacob or Edward and whatever it is in Twilight. It's not that type of back and forth battle. But when two players are competing with each other for ice time, it does matter. And Buchnevich is one of the better players on the Rangers. You can easily state he's one of the best players on the Rangers because, again, second on the team in points. I think he might be the top producer in points per 60. And he just doesn't get used like a top six player, and it doesn't make sense. So I would like to see him get that role from Chris Kreider, but Vigneault continues to give those jump-up opportunities to Jimmy Vesey or Jesper Fast. Um, a lot of people love to point out that, oh, Buchnevich is on the top line. Well, he is, but Buchnevich is getting at like four minutes less ice time a game than Zibanejad and two or three minutes less than Kreider. It's, he's just not being used. And he gets a ton of power play time, too. So it's not even a matter of it being Kreider's not killing penalties. Zibanejad does occasionally. It's just it's a frustrating situation to watch a player with this much talent get underutilized, especially for a team that's having offensive issues, is infuriating. So Kreider, if there's a silver lining to Kreider being injured, it's that Buchnevich can at least be used a little bit more than he would have been previously. Because he's not being used. He's not being used the way that he should be. And I don't know. Getting Letary a, a look is good. Um, Tom was bringing this up in the chat. He had a great senior season with Minnesota. He has, I think, 21 points so far um, with the Wolfpack. He, he, he's, he's doing the right things. I mean, for a rookie to score 12 goals through his first I don't know. I think he's played 35 games or something. It's, it's nice to see, but we were talking about this a little bit on the podcast as well, but Terry's already working out on the power play. So I think players in under Vigneault make jumps that should never be made. Darnay is the best example from healthy scratch to first line center to maybe healthy scratch again to PP one to fourth line center. A player shouldn't make that kind of a jump. Terry going immediately up to the power play, I'm not sure how much sense that makes, unless you want to maybe put him in Kreider's spot because he's got a great shot and see what happens. But um, again, I just, I I think the Kreider injury is going to tell us a lot about the New York Rangers. And I think it's also going to tell us a lot about what Vigneault thinks about the players on his roster, because there's a big dynamic to Kreider's game that you can't replicate with other players. Buchnevich, Hayes, they may be able to put up his offense. Not many players have his speed. So to Shana's point, if Grabner does get that nod as that kind of speed outlet, wonderful. But you're also taking that away from a line in the bottom six that Vigneault's kind of been leaning on, although he threw the lines in a blender, so who knows? Um, I was going to ask if anybody else had thoughts on some of Vigneault's lineup choices yesterday. Shana, I know you have a ton of them about the defense, so I will allow you to uh to make your case well i have, I have some on the, the oh wait you want to go first time i have just a, a quick thing on the forwards and i i would say um and i forgot who tweeted it out it was it was someone uh where it was when uh AV was asked about the forward combinations. It was something along the lines of, although the lines were jumbled up, there were some, you know, like pairs kept together in terms of players like center and wing or wing and wing. I think one of the most frustrating things, and I, I think sometimes it's a perception thing. Now, you may have a player that is very great offensively, 
but they don't, you know, have, you know, they, they're not the best defensive player. And there's this concept that's, you know, bandied about that they're moved down to become a more complete player. Now, I think you can count maybe on two hands a list of players in the NHL who are complete in the sense that they are elite offensively and elite defensively. There, there's a reason why there's a select few players uh, that that would fit, and they're, they're paid accordingly. Because the Rangers don't have those players, you're going to have great offensive players that you, know, you maybe want a little bit more defensively and vice versa, some great defensive players that you would like a little more offense from. Now, the goal should be to have those players in the right roles, offensive players, top six, you know, those are that are more two-way or defensive, bottom six, so on and so forth. And then you put them with someone that can mask some of those things. And I, I would say that in the last few years, Derek Stepan was one of those guys that was kind of used to help mask some of those things for, for other players. So I don't really subscribe to the fact that, all right, well, Buchnevich going to the fourth line is going to teach him to become more of a complete player because I don't think Buchnevich is going to be this, you know, all-star defensive player. And I'm not saying that he's bad defensively either. I would say if you look at one player that's sort of like the enigma, you look at Rick Nash because he was this elite offensive player. And as his, as he's gotten older, he's changed his game where he still has that offensive ability in bursts, but he's, you know, committed himself to being strong skater, hustle, strong defensive player. Um, so I, I, I think that's what the biggest problem is. And, and people perceive it as nitpicking of, oh, you're complaining about Buchnevich not getting ice time and you're complaining about VC getting too much ice time. It's, it's, it's no, it's, it's not that at all. It's players are being put in roles that they're either not suited for or they're not good at. And a good example of this was last night on, on the broadcast. And yes, we all know that he's an idiot, but you know, Mike Milbury was saying that the Rangers need to get more out of David DeHarnay. And when he was in Montreal, he was doing this newsflash. David DeHarnay already has more points this year than he did all of last season. By that metric, he's been fine. Maybe he's getting a little more ice time than he deserves, but Case in point, he was signed in the summer to be a fourth-line center. He's been used in other spots, and he's just been fine. So I think that can then be, and, and to segue, can be extended into the defense, which I'll, you know, Shane, I know has a lot to say, where the combinations don't quite make sense because there's this, this concept of, well, we need to round things out you know, a little more and let people learn and, and all that thing. So on that, I will... Uh, you know, drop pass to Shana. Thanks. <laughs> well, first on the offense, one thing. Um, I think it's funny with Buchnevich. It, it's it's first line or fourth line. It's like there there there's no in between. There's no. Why don't we give you a shot with J T. Miller? And it's point. like, well, you know, he he worked with J T. Miller in the Toronto game. When you finally moved him up from the fourth line, you put him with Miller. He gave him a beautiful pass. Miller scored, and that brought you within one. So that's one option for you. You could put him with Kevin Hayes. The only two players maybe I wouldn't put together are Zuccarello and Buchnevich because I think they're similar in their vision, their playmaking, that you want to spread that out. So uh, otherwise, it's it's not like there is someone that he can't work with. 
I think you have so many options. And you look at um, the ice time charts game to game, and he's still first line. In theory, he's on the first line, but his minutes are more reflective of the third or fourth line. So as much as you can say he's a first line player, look at what he's producing despite all that. And you were saying he's leading in stats. I think it's uh, points per 60, primary points per 60, game score per uh, per 60, I think he's second in individual Corsi for uh, Corsi four per sixty. He was third in uh, Corsi four percentage, and he was leading the team in expected goals for percentage. So, I don't know what you want from him that he's not doing. And if there is something, why not why not work with him? Like you know, it'd be nice if you heard like from any of the beat writers who were sitting there practicing. Like, hey, the coaches are talking with Buchnevich, or he's working on these kinds of drills. Like, give us that information because if. It, you know, if we're not getting it to us, we're going to believe that he's not getting it. So improve his game in some way because you want him to be a cornerstone of your team for years to come. He's young and he's this good already. But um, for the defense, I do not understand any of it. I don't get why McDonough is still with Holden. And I know Holden has been better. And I know I have a bias that I – we came into the season, I said I'd rather see Stahl play than Holden because I do like Stahl better. I know, like, it kind of might sound like I rip on Holden more than other players. It's really not that. And I think he deserves to be in the lineup based on the six defensemen that are there. If you're talking about the ones in Hartford, it's a different conversation. But of the seven defensemen at the NHL level, yes, he deserves to be there. No, it's not on the first pair. And there's really nothing that – nothing's going to change about that. He is what he is. He's, what, 31 years old. Don't – it's not like, oh, my God. All of a sudden, for the first time in his career, he's a first-pair defenseman. He's not. McDonough's not playing his best hockey – Holden's not helping out. And last week it was against the Devils. Shattenkirk, the bench was shortened. He didn't get as as much time because he had a bad game. He deserves to not play as much if he's having a bad game. But then you need a goal. He's the player you want out there. Holden's not having a bad game either, uh, not having a good game either. He was on the ice for the only five-on-five goal against. He was on the ice for uh, Boyle's power play goal against as well. And he definitely could have avoided that pass going to Boyle. He just stood there. Why was he not disciplined for the same thing? So they're kept together, and I think they're the biggest problem of all three pairs. I don't get why Stahl was shifted to the right. And Shattenkirk-Smith, it seemed like we're going to be the second pair, which Shea Stahl is the third pair. So if you're calling someone out, it looks like you're calling out Brady Shea. I don't understand why. I think he's been one of your better and most consistent defensemen throughout the year, if not the best, you know, if you look at consistency-wise. So – if not, and then you have uh, Smith, Shattenkirk, it still looks bad, and it still is bad. It's bad on paper because they were both brought in. You, you know, you put all this cap space into them. You gave them contracts, and now it's their two third-pair defense, and that's, that's not good at all. And then I get it. It's not, like, on paper. But if you look at their play, since Smith's come back into the lineup, he hasn't been a problem. He hasn't been bad. He's actually gotten much better, but he still gets limited ice time. And then Shattenkirk... I don't understand that one at all. And you look at it, I think he had the least five-on-five ice time, Shattenkirk, and Smith ended up the least ice time overall because he doesn't get penalty-killing minutes much ever. Instead, Holden gets that because I don't understand the team. But that's now your third pair after last night, and it made no sense. And then if you look by the numbers again, Shane Stahl did not have a good night. Uh, in, in terms of, like, Corsi differential. So are you going to keep them together? Or are you going to, like, I, I don't get it. What I would well, say, go ahead, Tom. Good. What, what I would say 
is when I and I look at the defense, and and I don't think you're being unnecessarily hard on on Holden, Shana, because my contention with Holden is that by you know by trade he's an offensive-minded defenseman, and those elements of his game have been fine with the Rangers. The problem for me lies in this. If you look at the way that the pairings are constructed, it's to me it's it's sort of deliberate. You have Holden with McDonough because you really can't trust Holden defensively. So it's this situation of, you know, taking your best uh, asset in McDonough and sort of tying him to someone to help sort of cover instead of allowing him to play his own game. And then you have, you know, Stahl on the third pairing who, while he's been improved, when you when you look at his performance relatively and compare it to where the bar was, that's not saying much. And if you were going to have optimal pairings, you would have, you know, Shea and Smith together because that was a pairing that had a ton of success, a ton of instant chemistry. And then naturally you would then have um, McDonough and Shattenkirk. But that creates the problem of then having Holden and Stahl together, which is never going to happen. So then to accommodate for that, you do the switching around. Mind you, all of this we're not considering, you know, Anthony D'Angelo's in Hartford, who they had NHL hopes for, you know, off the bat. You have Pionk, who, you know, they were, you know, very high on. Um, and I, I think it comes down to, to this. Um, Shattenkirk I've is been seen getting a lot of grief lately because his, uh, you know, the offensive numbers have been going down a little bit, but even by a, a points per game basis, he's still, I think, top three um, all time in single season points per game uh, since, you know, uh, you know, the 05, 06 lockout. So he's coming down to earth a bit because he was scoring at such a, uh, you know, elaborate rate. Um, I think until the Rangers are honest with the fact that they have certain players that they are, you know, sheltering, maybe they, maybe you're not seeing the sheltering in terms of, of ice time and deployment, but in, in terms of starting in the zone, but they're conscientiously putting certain players with other players. And, you know, we saw this, you know, dramatically with, you know, McDonough and Girardi towards the end. And now, now we're seeing it again. And then you can even go back even further and how, you know, Keith Yandel was handled. Um, I think, if you were to put each defender into an archetype, you have Smith, who's a defensive defenseman. You have Shattenkirk, who is an offensive defenseman. You know, um, not that he's terrible defensively. If you look at, you know, shot metrics and, you know, you know, relatively, you know, goals against. You have McDonough, who's sort of a two-way. Um, he's solid defensively but you've seen him have these seasons where he's, you know, getting upwards of 30, you know, hitting, I think his career high is 43 points. And then you have obviously Stahl, who he is what he is at this point, Holden, who I said is offensive minded and Shea, who we don't know what he's going to be. He had a great offensive year um, in his rookie year this year, the offense has slowed a little bit, but I've seen him becoming more of a uh, complete player who I think can sort of be in the mold of McDonough. Um, I just think that the Rangers need to be honest about the players that they have, recognize their strengths, and then set them up. 
you can have two dynamite pairings and then maybe that forces their hand to try something else on the third pairing. But I just think it's kind of ludicrous that you look at all the money they've spent and for better or for worse, um, Smith has been used as a bottom, as a, as a bottom pairing and, you know, Shattenkirk who you signed to be your top pair guys been you know, first, second and third. Um, but I'll, I think Shana wants to respond um, I was just going to add, it's funny that we all were against Stahl Holden all of last year, and rightfully so. Each of them are having a better season individually. And, like, at this point, I say, why not give it a game? I mean, like, not a, a, a an individual game or anything like that, but why not try it? Again, I think they've played maybe 19 minutes or 20 minutes together, and it actually was okay, but give them a chance to show that they can play in sheltered third pair minutes and only sheltered third pair minutes. And that's like, it, it definitely needs to be expi- explicitly stated that this is a third pair role only because last year when they were in the third pair role, uh, there was the one game in the playoffs that actually shifted them to the third pair. It worked out really well too. Then you have that top four that you can mix up and you can really mix it up any way you want. If you want to try, um, you were shifting McDonough to the right at one point to play him with stall. Why not shift him to the right to play with Shea? See if that works out or Shea to the right. And Smith and Shattenkirk can complement each other well, too. And if not, just keep mixing it up. You have four really good defensemen that you can mix up in any which way if that's what you go with. But the fact that you have to limit your options because that's also who's on your roster and you can't trust them. Like, right there, you should know you have a problem. You have an inherent problem with your defense that has to be solved. And if you can't put them together on the third pair, you need to find someone that you can because right now it's not working. And then one quick thing, which I kind of forgot. it was kind of, It's kind of funny how – Elaine Vigneault historically has been lefties on the left, righties on the right, and have left, right, left, right, left, right, and how that's sort of just sort of gone out the window. You know, now it's lefties can play with lefties and all that fun stuff where those rules, which were important, are no longer important. Well, and that's the thing, and, and this is where I think a lot of people have difficulty separating some of our criticism from what we're actually criticizing. I don't – when Shattenkirk was benched against the Devils last week – the issue was not that Kevin Shattenkirk was benched. He, he had a terrible game. He should have been benched. It's that when those things happen to other players, like Holden, and like Shana said, Holden had a, an even bigger gaffe that ended up in the, back, in the back of the net. They don't get punished. And, and it's, it's something that we've seen with Hayes. It's something that we've seen with Bushnevich. It was a big reason why there was so much angst about Tanner Glass. I'm not trying to just pick examples and just throw names out there, but AV has his guys and his guys can do whatever they want. You you see, even at this point, Shea is getting kind of tossed around a little bit in the lineup. Um, Shattenkirk is getting tossed around in the lineup. Smith is getting tossed around in the lineup. Like Tom said, the players that you're paying Shattenkirk and Smith are getting less of a leg to stand on than a guy like Holden, who's probably not in the cards next year. Although who knows at this point with the way that he's being used. That doesn't make sense, and it doesn't. It's not like Holden is this unbelievable defenseman that is like a gem that you're trying to uncover. You know what you have in Nick Holden, and I will echo Shana's just comments on him in that he should be in the lineup. Where we were wrong on that one, he's been he's been fine, solid if you want in, in terms of being in the lineup, but I don't think he's top pair material. Ryan McDonough is struggling. 
it does not help to have a guy like Holden. And Vigneault already went off on his little, he's solid, he's dependable, he's in the right areas of the ice at the right time. I'm rolling my eyes because Holden doesn't do anything anybody else can't do. Holden is a replacement-level defenseman, period. You can have a replacement-level defenseman on your top pair if you really want to. The Rangers are doing it right now. Um, I, I just, I don't understand where... I don't understand where the line gets drawn. Buchnevich gets thrown down to the fourth line. VC, you know, Fast, those guys who probably should be down there, could be down there. They don't really see any of that. Holden stays on the top line. Guys like Shattenkirk, guys like Smith, again, players that you are paying a significant amount of money to be here. They see that. He doesn't see that. So it just follows this trend of interesting lineup decisions, messages that Vigneault is trying to send, uh, that he's making a comment to the media but doesn't really elaborate on, and the only players that seem to be being punished were Shea and Buchnevich. It, it just it boggles your mind. And we, we don't have a media group that is going to ask those questions, for better or worse. Um, the national media, you know, the Dan Rosens of the world, the NHL.coms, all that, ESPN, whatever – they don't care because it's not it's they're not there for those in in the moment stories. The, they're not looking for that expose on lineup decisions. That's something that you should be getting from your day in and day out reporter. And we just don't see any of it. I mean, I, I got news for you. Filipino would look pretty good on this team right now. In a way, maybe so would Anderson. I don't know. But it's not like the Rangers are just brimming with unbelievable talent. They're playing Paul Carey every night, who, again, has been a serviceable player on the fourth line. But you'd have to assume there are better options out there. And there's just this, like you said, Tom, the rules change. I never change my lineup after a win, unless I'm changing my lineup after a win to get in somebody I want to get in. Um, You know, we got, he's a defendable player. He's going to stay there. We're not, whatever. And then, oh, okay, he's actually not. We're going to throw him on the fourth line or we're going to bench him. Um, the things that got Smith in trouble don't get Holden in trouble. The things that get Shattenkirk in trouble don't get Holden in trouble. There were plenty of games this year where Ryan McDonough should have been benched, and he wasn't. So, I mean, at least on the last one, you understand the optics of McDonough being the captain, but even his ice time, it's just it's a continuous issue with him, and it's something that we've seen for a long time. Um, and as these criticisms come to light and as we bring this stuff up, a lot of people get very defensive. They talk about Vigneault being one of the best coaches that the Rangers have had, led the Rangers through this golden era. And that might be right in the sense of the Rangers haven't had this level of success in a really long time. But this is a very talented team. Henrik Lundqvist is a once-in-a-generation goaltender, and the Rangers are wasting him. He's 35 years old. The, the oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Vigneault knows more than you. He's in the room. Mika, hockey stat miner, for those of you who don't know, he tweeted something that I loved yesterday, which is, well, the Rangers are in a playoff position. Guess AV knows what he's doing. F bloggers, 2015. Same exact thing in 2016. Same exact thing now in 2017. People don't learn lessons. We've been banging this drum since before the Rangers got the floor wiped with them against Pittsburgh back in 2016. It's the same thing over and over again. So these lineup decisions, these issues, these do come. They rear their ugly head. The Rangers blew the Ottawa series last year. It just happened because of these lineup decisions. These are not standalone incidents. So, yeah, I don't care that it's December. It's a problem. 
These things occur over and over and over again. It is a staple of Vigneault. And for the final time, I am not saying he's a bad coach, although I do think there's evidence that suggests that he may be. I just don't think he's the right coach. I don't think he's the right guy. And we may have seen a coaching change back in November against uh, – was it November, actually? It was the last day of uh, – it was the last day of October. October. Halloween night. Yeah, against, against Vegas. Against Las Vegas. We could have seen a, a change, and we didn't, and now we're here again. And the Rangers just keep spiraling in this good but not good enough, but good enough to maybe be good enough, I don't know how good we are type of situation. It's just it's, – it's not – good for anybody and it's especially not good for the team because they should have made I think just big changes before I'm sorry Shane I wasn't in the uh I wasn't in the chat you you want to jump in oh yeah um two things one on McDonough I think because he's not playing his best hockey and this is no offense to him whatever if they're not gonna like let him if he is injured and that's the case that and you're not gonna let him sit out then I think you should be limiting his minutes and not upping them because I think you have other capable defensemen that can pick up the slack if need be. But it's interesting. If you look at Carolina, Justin Falk was uh, meant to be the number one guy he was for years. And when Slavin came in after a while, Slavin took over as the number one guy. And then you see that Falk shifted to the second pair and he was in more offensive situations and it, it just helped him. And even if you did something like that to McDonough, when McDonough was absent, you had Shea take over as the first defenseman and he was great at it. He handled the minutes, he handled the role, and it could take some slack off McDonough either long-term or even just a short-term thing until he figures things out. And if you want McDonough holding as your second pair, it's not the worst thing in the world if you can have a good defenseman on Shea's right, and that might be Smith and that might be Shattenkirk, and you have options like that that you could use too. Secondly, the thing about uh, December, if you look at it, um, each season with Vigneault, I went through it uh, for the thing I did this week, um, they were towards the bottom year after year in Corsi against per hour and in the last three years and expected goals against the last three years as well. I think they were dead la- They're dead last right now. They were dead last, I think, in 15-16 maybe, and then it was in 16-17 they were fourth to the bottom. But you look at the first two years with Vigneault, and that was the year. One year they went to the conference final and lost, and one year they went to the Stanley Cup final and lost, and they were actually a, a better team in – some ways, I think then their offense was a bigger problem, less than their defense, and obviously Hank was at his best at that time. But the two seasons with Vigneault, you see them have their most full year. At that point in December, they look like a better team in terms of their defensive game. They weren't allowing as many scoring chances, shots against, shot attempts against. And the next three years, they suck at it. And each year, it seems that the playoff elimination gets more and more disappointing, and they're accomplishing less and less, and it's like, you know, you should look at these numbers at December because maybe it would tell you something. Definitely tells you something about Vigneault's last five years. And Tom, you had something? Yeah, I have three quick points. The first is response to you. I'm in the analogy you brought up with Carolina is is spot on because I think that um, you know we've we've talked about this a little bit before. You know, when it comes time to, for the decision of you know whether he stays or whether he goes, I think. Any contract extension with McDonough, you need to have the mindset that for the majority of that contract, he's going to be a second pair defenseman or lower for the mere fact that it's going to be a long-term deal that starts at age 30 and 
you got to expect for him to there's the chance that he doesn't always age as gracefully whereas sort of seeing what you have now in Shea who is young and you know going into his prime you transition him into that you know de facto you know top pairing on the left side role that's a positive um secondly with the whole Buchnevich thing my I look at it not almost as it's Buchnevich, but from the perspective of the Rangers, you need to look at the majority of your roster and you look at, you know, organizationally in terms of succession planning. Um, I think that the entry level years are so important and you should push the young players as hard as you can. And in the role that you think they're ultimately going to fill because you want to be damn sure that you know what they're capable of and see what they can do, because then that makes it a lot easier managing them. If you know what type of player Pavel Buchnevich is after those three years, because you're putting him in, in that spot primarily in years two and three, it makes it a lot easier to say, okay, we're going to give you a long-term deal. Now we're going to cut out the bridge deal and we're going to pay you like we think that you're worth because we know this is what you're doing now. You're you're going to be entering your fourth, fifth league in the year, a year in the a year in the league. You can obviously handle that. So that's where people are like, oh, it's Bucinevich's. No, it's about managing your young assets, forcing them to prove that, or forcing them to prove you wrong, and then making a decision from there. And then uh, thirdly, on on Avino. I look at it like this and, you know, it's a little harder with coaching because um, it's not like evaluating a player. Um, at one point in time, you know, Nolan Ryan was the best pitcher in baseball. No one could hit him because he just threw, you know, so damn hard that you couldn't hit it. But eventually he gets older. He doesn't have as much mustard on the fastball and the performance isn't there. I think as a coach, that it applies too, because yes, you can compile tons and tons and tons of wins, while tons and tons of wins, I think, also have something to do with having two of the, you know, the greatest goaltenders and, you know, the post-lockout error is, is a part of that. Um, your message can, or your tactics can can run run thin. I look at how he fizzled out in Vancouver. They they got to the cup final and, and they, they couldn't get the job done. And then from that point on, it, it, it was a regression backwards. And then you look at the Rangers, you know, they're in the cup final, then they're in the Eastern Conference final, then, you know, first round exit, and then now, you know, a second round exit. Um, I don't think Vigneault is a bad coach. He has a lot of experience. He's done a lot of good things. But at some point, you just ask, you know, is he grasping at straws? Has he exhausted all of that experience and none of it has worked? So he's not so much as coaching, whereas he's just reacting. He's being thrown with something instead of going off of what he knows. He's just making a decision because that's his job, for better or for worse. You're the coach. You're making those decisions. And this is not a, a criticism to him at all. It's more of a, you can even look at it from a real world management perspective. And, you know, you look at 
you know, in, in, in your, your regular jobs, you, you report to a boss and odds are, you know, that boss has, has some experience and maybe you have, you know, you know, someone or a director you report to or whatever. It's the same concept here. You can have all the experience in the world, but if you don't adapt to changes in, in you know, the industry or changes in time, it's not going to work. And, and part of that last comment is the direct into the whole, you know, we have our own internal metrics that, you know, tell us what we need to know, which I just think is, you know, a load of horse shit. But besides that, yeah. It is. Just finding out who they are. I'm sorry, Shana, do you have a point? Nope, just agreeing it's a lot of horseshit. Totally right. A lot of horseshit. Mike would Mike would appreciate that. Um, it, it's just figuring out who they are. The the Rangers should know who they are right now, and, and I'm not sure they do. Um, the Kreider injury again may bring up, may force them to make a decision on this. But Michael Grabner is a hell of a trade asset at the trade deadline. So is Rick Nash, especially if you have an under the table conversation with him that you're going to get him to sign during free agency for a cheap price. Um, the Rangers do have options here with what they can do. And Tom, I fully agree with you. Any type of a discussion about a Ryan McDonough extension needs to be done under the the guidelines that he's going to be a second pairing defenseman moving forward. And he'll probably be a third pairing defenseman at the end of it, because you're signing him for probably the max eight years. And that's going to take him until he's 35 or or even 36. So um, it's, it, it should be a concern. But I don't – he's another guy that I would probably think about trading this coming summer. Um, just the hole that you can get back for him, the everything about it, just it makes sense for the Rangers. And if you're not going to utilize the defenseman the way that we'd like to see, if you're going to continue to make these headbanging mistakes over and over again, if the Rangers are going to keep playing these games where they're good but not good enough, well, you you, you got to shit or get off the pot at some point. You really do. And this is a team that's managed to stay competitive and kind of fill the farm system out a little bit, despite being in that purgatory of never really having a very high first round pick. The Rangers sort of began rectifying that this year, but it's almost too little too late. I mean, they're paying off the bills of going into going all in for three years in a row. So I I just don't understand. Sometimes I don't understand why the Rangers don't, maybe take a a harder look in the mirror and see what it is that they can do to either help themselves or be better in the long term. It almost feels like they'd rather put butts in the seats for a round in the playoffs than they don't want to take risks. Well, yeah, exactly. They don't it's, and here's the thing. The, there is a love affair with a young up and coming team. If the Rangers and I don't blow up, isn't the right word, but if the Rangers wanted to retool seriously, this roster, you move McDonough, you move Nash, you move Grabner over the course of the next, you know, this trade deadline in the summer, and you put a young team on the ice, they can still be competitive. They could still be a playoff team. They may even be better than the team we have right now. But if you're going to go in that direction, you need a new coach because you can't – Vigneault clearly is not that guy. I think Vigneault is probably at his best with a very, very good goaltender, and who wouldn't be, and an older roster that's more settled, that doesn't have a lot of up-and-comers, that isn't really 
full of players that are fighting for an opportunity to get more ice time because we have seen that he is incapable of making those decisions over the long run. At his best in 2014, when the Rangers went to the cup, Vigneault had no personnel decisions. He was very hands-off. He had to, he was giving everyone a blind. I mean, it's hysterical to think that Vigneault, when he came to this team, his motto was fresh slate, go grab it or something like that. We were talking about Chris Ryder wanting to stay in New York because of Vigneault. I mean, it was, we're having the same conversations now about Buchnevich that we did with Tortorella and Kreider. And that should be an instantaneous red flag to anybody in the position of power in this organization that something is wrong. You don't want to have those conversations over and over again. If you could just swap out Kreider and put in Buchnevich and we're five years down the road, something is wrong. It's, it's mind boggling that we're still doing this right now. And what's even more concerning, and another thing that I love to put up there when people get in my face about going after Vigneault, go read the stories after Vigneault was fired in Vancouver. And you could just replace Canucks with Rangers and Vancouver with New York, and you are looking at the exact same situation. And that is a problem over and And over and over again. It was really ahead, big Gina. with the development there. Like every article you saw, it was talking about if you were an offensively minded player, you needed to show those defensive instincts. And obviously you want to have every player that you can trust in your own end. You never want it that it's like, you're an offensive superstar, but I can't trust you. Like elite players are sheltered all the time. So if that's what you have to do, shit, that sucks. But you know, you have a player that might be able to score 70 points for you. So whatever. But, like, in his rookie season, that's not that's not what you want to do to him. That's definitely not, like, how you develop a player. And they said the same thing there. Same exact thing. And it's like, you're not allowed to apply that to New York. No, it was different. Because then it's, well, Tortorella wasn't good at developing players. He got fired for a reason, too. It's stupid. It's the same argument that you're going to make either way. But it's like, you're not allowed to make it for Vigneault. Because what? Because he took us to the Stanley Cup and Torts didn't. He took the Canucks to the Stanley Cup, too. He's had two... Generational goaltenders, congrats. You got very lucky. And, and the regular season wins, the playoff, the President's Trophies, the Eastern Conference Final, the two Stanley Cups, that's all it's, – that's great. And it, it, it shows a coach who, who knows what he's doing in a lot of respects. But to Shane's point, you, you have Henrik Lundqvist and you have Roberto Luongo in their prime. That takes a lot of bloom off the rose. It really does. Um, yeah, it just it, – it, it, you could defend him all you want. If, if you want to make a defense to Vigneault, by all means. But the defense of Vigneault cannot be, oh, he's won a lot more hockey than you, or, oh, you're not a hockey guy. You're not in practice. You haven't seen – it just doesn't work. Because while we were sitting here warning all of you about this, while we were talking about how Holden and um, – Stall were probably not the combination you wanted to run down late in the playoffs. These people watched the Rangers lose three games last year in the playoffs, two to Ottawa, one to Montreal by last minute blown leads because of that defensive pairing. And they just kept going back out onto the ice and nobody said anything. Nobody thought about anything. Nobody did anything. And if you can make those types of mistakes over and over and over again like that, 
I'm not totally sure you're you could be in this type of a position and not have people question you. Um, call it what you want. Call it the bloodbath that is the New York media, or maybe the bloodbath that should be the New York media because <laughs> for the Rangers it kind of isn't. But it, it's not. You can question Vigneault without feeling bad or without having people get in your face. Uh, not that it's it's possible these days with Twitter and Facebook, but it is you have every right and every reason to be concerned. You really do because we've seen these mistakes before. Um, so, yeah. I like, uh, I like the argument ahead, though that people talk about, sorry, uh, people talk about KZB. They're like, Vigneault put together KZB. He knows what he's doing. And it's like, do you know how many times he took it apart? Do you want to talk last year, last playoff this year? When, when do you want to talk? You want to talk about when he messed up the power, you know, they did it on the power play this year, too. And I know it's Arneal and it's not Vigneault, but it's like it's, it, they're one and the same, I feel like, at a certain point. They moved Kreider off it. Then it didn't work. Then they, you know, then it was, oh, let's put Miller on the first one. It, it didn't work. Then they put back together KZB, Zuccarello, and Shattenkirk. You're like, oh, it works. You put it back together, KZB, and you're like, that line clicked. Why haven't we tried that longer? And it's like this coach put them together and took them apart. There's a reason we complained about them last year. The offseason this year, you can hit on any point. The defense has been crap. Defense has been total crap. And they had a defense that, yes, they relied on shot blocking, but they were capable before he came in here. And then Girardi declined. And, you know, you had a lot of other things to deal with, the injuries and whatnot. But it was like, that's one thing. Your development of players sucks. Yes, it might have sucked with Tortorella, but it doesn't mean that it can't, you know, it can't suck with you as well. We talked about Booch so much this offseason. I remember – I went back and wrote something. I'm literally picking through those Vancouver quotes, and it's, like, exactly the same. And it's like, oh, a coach didn't change and didn't adapt, but a player is expected to. You want Buchnevich to adapt to your ways and your system, but you're not going to adapt to say, let me play to your strengths. That should be the sign of a good coach. He knows how to plug his players and get to their strengths game in and game out, and he just doesn't. Well, he doesn't. He his own. He would not play in his own rules. That's the funny thing. That's a, and again, listen. Every coach has their guys. I get it. Every coach has their favorites. I get it. But the point is, you, you need to at least be aware of when player A is better than player B. And you might like player B more than you like player A, but you, you got to play the better player. The best players need to get ice time. The best players need to be able to play to win. And I, I just, I hate these stereotypes that we live with where people will, anybody going after Buchnevich for being bad in his own end. It's just, that's just a stereotypical. This is why this person is not playing reason. You don't have to think about it. It's boilerplate. You don't care, but it's not true. He has some of the best possession metrics on this team. The people that yell at him and say, well, maybe if he was better in his own end, like VC, he'd be playing more. Buchnevich is a far superior defensive player than VC is. Buchnevich is probably better than quite a few forwards on this team. It just doesn't make sense. You can't, it's just this pick and choose whatever fits in the moment defense for some of these decisions. And that's what makes it infuriating for me is a Vigneault doesn't have to answer for, for what he does. And B you're telling me, well, you're a terrible fan for not wanting VC to play. It's not that I don't want VC to play. It's that I think Buchnevich should be playing more. And these are the same people who think Hank is washed up, who think Nash can't finish, 
who think Shattenkirk sucks at defense. It's just, it's the same. It, it, it's just a merciless, never ending, just attack on crab the people. senses. Yeah, crab people. Crab people everywhere. Uh, I don't even have the words. Um, Douchecocks. Yeah, it's a great, douchecocks is a yep. great word. My manager would, would love it. Um, Anywho, any final thoughts the two of you want to make? Yeah, I just have one, which is just, you know, the, the quote from uh, you're talking about, like, when he left Vancouver, and, and just tell me that this doesn't rain true right now. Um, agendas, however, can be harpooned by simple wins and losses. Vigneault squeezed every regular season point he could from his flawed roster, but at playoff time, when intensity and physicality increased, the Canucks weren't good enough. Now, you could put Rangers in there if they get, you know, bounced out this year, and that would apply. And then just one other quote, um, you know, Vigneault, wary of becoming a voice tuned out, took a calculated step back from the dressing room and empowered a leadership group to establish expectations and police accountability through peer pressure. Um, This leadership model also detached Vigneault from his players, and he once explained that under other circumstances, he probably would really like infuriating defenseman Shane O'Brien on a personal level, but as a coach, he had to maintain his distance. There are other arguments for firing Vigneault from nonsense about his ability to develop young players and coach offense, his handling of goalies, Roberto Luongo and Corey Schneider, and the charge he was responsible for Keith Bowers' inability to play dependably after a disastrous trade for the defenseman three years ago. Um, This is not to say that everything that's gone wrong here is Vigneault's fault, but when there are some similarities and some trends, you know, it becomes worrisome because if you can see the slide, you can see it going sideways. That's the time to make the move because I'm not saying a coaching change takes this team and makes them a playoff contender, but making a coaching change on a permanent basis what that allows the team to do is assess the roster they have, make those changes that they need to, and then you're looking at heading into 2018-2019 and being a legitimate contender. Yeah, the, and I don't know if it's the article that you're quoting from, Tom, but there's an article, there's a Vancouver Sun, the Vancouver Sun article after he was fired. Go, Just go read it. They do like a, they have like bullet points on the reasons why he was fired and they're literally the same exact things that we're all talking about right now. Um, So yeah, like at some point it has to change. Uh, He has to change, but he won't. And the Rangers are very, maybe loyal isn't the best word, but I I think it is. They're just a very loyal ownership group and very loyal management group. And we're not going to see the change unless we absolutely had to. And again, all the, well, maybe he knows what he's doing, people. You just, you're not, you're talking about something completely different. You're talking about, you are literally just pointing at a situation and saying, oh, he's won some games in the regular season and he wins in the playoffs every now and again. And that's the end of that. But you'll hold Lundquist to the standard of not being good because he hasn't won a Stanley Cup yet. You just, you just can't have it both ways. Um, All those people that say that crap about Hank. Especially the yeah. ones that claim that they're Ranger fans. I can't. I can't deal with them. 
We ain't dealing with you crabs. You crab a crab. I rather Harry's dot com slash Harry's dot com slash blue shirt banter. Or Harry's dot com and then promo code blue shirt banter. Um you can get yourself a nice little uh nice little free sample. Just pay shipping and handling for some some razors. Shave your face. Tom could shave his face. Uh, I could shave my face. Shanda does not have to shave her face, but she could get a razor just to use for other things. So, yeah, you could go to harrys.com. Keep the shave gel. Then the shave, the greatest shave gel ever. We we have three people who signed up, so we need seven more. If seven more do it, I'll eat that little cap of, of gel, as Mike said. So that would be wonderful. Um, and then Patreon, to all of our Patreons, thank you for being so understanding. I know we... We had two shows missing, I think, the past five weeks because of some baby stuff with me and the holidays. I I apologize for that. We're starting to get into a little routine with her, so it should make it a little bit easier. Um, but we appreciate all of your support. John J. Porter, Anthony Viola. Um, I, so it's somebody that I interact with on Twitter all the time. And Andre Chikagoff, I totally butchered that. You know I butchered it. Send me a note about how to actually pronounce your last name. Um, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, Alexander Gardner, Alexander Ricard, Robert Courtney, Guy from Montana, Daniel DeGen, Eric Cohn, Matt Bader, Gabrielle Vargas, um, Fightsy in Step On Voice. Interesting. Um, David L. Singer, Darwin Bushman, Grumpy Smokey, Scott Potash, Dan Lynch, Mike Offit, Chris B., Bob Kawa, Andrew Grigo, Stink Fleeman, Arch Williams, Igor Zatlovsky, Zachary Zetlin, Dan Carosi, Alexander Thornton, Thomas Osa, Trevor Kempner, and Michael Silvers. Thank you all for donating. You are all awesome. And you guys are the reason why we're here. So woohoo. Um, to Tom, to Shana, thank you guys for jumping on last minute here to get this out. Uh, you could follow them at Twitter. Shana, you need to say your thing because I don't know how many Ys there is in it. <laughs> three Ys. It's at Hey Shay, uh, three Ys on each. Hey Shay, three Ys on each. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. And then Tom's is easy. It's just Tom, U-R-T-Z, Jr. And I am Joe Fortunato, F-O-R-T-U-N-A-T-O-B-S-B. And you can follow the Blue Shirt Banter one, which is just Blue Shirt Banter. Thank you all for joining. Appreciate it. And uh, again, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and Happy Holidays. The next time we speak to you, it will be 2018. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Holla! <laughs>